Hi, everybody. This is Pastor Tim from Holy Trinity Evangelical Lutheran Church in Newington, New Hampshire. This is our weekly podcast of the sermon from the prior Sunday. Normally at this time, I have invited everybody to join us for worship at 8, 30, and 11. Uh, but right now we're in the midst of the global pandemic, and so we are not having worship in our building at 8, 30, and 11. Instead, you can find us online doing virtual worship using Zoom. You can find the information for all of that on our website at www.htelc.com. You can also like us on Facebook. And uh, those are the two primary ways in which to find our links to have worship with us. So it doesn't matter where you are, as long as you have an internet connection, you can join us for worship. So thank you for listening. We hope that you find the sermon meaningful and purposeful, that it connects to your life and how you interact with the world. And most of all, it reveals God's infinite love for you and all of creation. The Holy Gospel according to Matthew chapter 14. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But by this time, the boat, battered by the waves, was far from land, for the wind was against them. And early in the morning he came walking toward them on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified, saying, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Peter answered, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Jesus said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat, started walking on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he noticed the strong wind, he became frightened, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and caught him, saying to him, You of little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, You are the Son of God, the Gospel of the Lord. Friends, grace, peace, and mercy to you this day and always. So the Gospel text from Matthew tells us that Jesus walked on the water. Really? Jesus walked on the water? That reminds me of a wonderful movie, some of you may recall, I think from the 80s, Being There, starring Peter Sellers, played the role of Chauncey Gardner. At the end of the movie, Chauncey Gardner walks across the pond. But here, this is no joke. This is Jesus in the Bible, in God's word for us, walking on the water. Today I want to talk to you about miracles, about believing, and what difference does it make? So then this question, is Christianity believable? Can we trust what it claims? Can we base our lives on us? Now, the story we have before us today, Jesus walking on the water, is one that certainly challenges our rational minds. There's a lot of resistance in us to such a story. Can you believe it? Some of you may be familiar with the name Francis Collins. Dr. Francis Collins is the director of the National Institutes of Health. He is Dr. Fauci's boss, if you will. Dr. Collins formerly was the director of the Human Genome Genome 
project. So he's a world-renowned scientist, well-regarded throughout the world. He's a smart guy, no doubt about it. And he is a person of faith, of Christian faith. He wrote a book. It's entitled The Language of God. In it, he offers his take on the intersection between science and faith. I commend it to you. I found it very helpful. So to the question, is Christianity believable? Dr. Collins offers some insights that I want to share with you in a moment. But first, let me tell you, Dr. Collins is a believer, but he was not always. He was raised in a non-religious home. He grew up in his young teen years thinking that he was an agnostic. That is one who believes there isn't enough knowledge to determine whether there's God or not. It comes from a Greek word, a meaning no, and gnosis meaning knowledge. Well, as he got a little bit older and into, more into his mid-teen years, uh, Francis Collins decided that he was an atheist, a theos, no God. So he was sure there was no God. As life led him to think more deeply and more critically about who he was and what he thought and believed, he realized that atheism and agnosticism both were inadequate for him as a worldview. He began to read C.S. Lewis, particularly the book Mere Christianity, which for him was life-changing. He continued to think and study and reflect on life and himself and so forth, and he developed an understanding of what he believed, and it became a belief in the existence of God, and specifically in the God who had revealed God to the world in Jesus. So first, to the question about the existence of God, is there a God at all? And maybe you've wondered that at times. Maybe you're wondering that right now. Many of us have wondered about that question throughout our lives. To that question, Dr. Collins makes two points that I want to touch on quickly. First, he cites the existence of the moral law, that is, a universal concern for right and wrong. And he says if we human beings are merely the products of an evolutionary process, which he does believe in, without a doubt, but if we are merely the products of that process, where does the sense of right and wrong come from? And then secondly, Dr. Collins notes the existence of a drive within us, the sex drive. No, not really, but I mention that just to make sure you're paying attention in case you're wandering off. It's not the sex drive, but it's a drive equally forceful in us, a drive that seeks something or someone beyond us. Atheists will often claim that this drive or this God impulse is something we create because we can't handle life. We need something. And it's just a figment of our imaginations, a sort of wish dream. Dr. Collins says that such a wish dream, if that's all it is, would logically lead us to a certain kind of God. It would be a benevolent God, a God on our side, a cozy God, a God who would please us, would do whatever we wanted would make no demands on us. A God that comes from our wish dream would never produce the God of the Bible or the God of Jesus. A wish dream of our making would never lead to the God who calls us to do things like lay down our lives to follow Jesus or to serve others, to care for the poor, to give away our possessions, to love our neighbors, even our enemies all of which Jesus calls his followers to do. 
No, this God impulse within us, this drive, may not be a wish dream at all, but in fact, may be a basic, innate part of who we are, our human nature. Dr. Collins, quote, Could it be that this longing for the sacred, a universal and puzzling aspect of human experience, may not be wish fulfillment, but rather a pointer towards something beyond us? Why do we have a God-shaped vacuum in our hearts and minds unless it's meant to be filled? Close quote. St. Augustine, centuries ago, described this yearning. Quote, My heart is restless until it finds its rest in thee, that is, in God. Close quote. To the specific question about Jesus and miracles, Dr. Collins' line of thinking goes this way. If you believe in God, that is, the creator of all that ever was and ever will be and ever is, if God is the creator of everything, that is, if God is God, then suspending the laws of nature on this tiny planet called Earth would be well within that God's skill set, don't you think? According to John's Gospel, the purpose behind the miracles was to point to God present and active in Jesus. It's like God shouting to the world, here I am. If you want to know about God, about who I am as God, look to this one, Jesus, and learn from what he does, what he says, how he lives. So is Christianity believable? Can we believe it? Many, many have, and many still do. Francis Collins, for one, C.S. Lewis, you could name many, many, of course. You've known people in your lifetime, as I have, smart, intellectually gifted, critical in their analysis of life, people of strong character and conviction, people who used their lives to try to make a better world. And they did so because of their faith in God, the God of Jesus Christ. So it's clear to me, you don't have to surrender your brain, your intellect, your ability to reason in order to have faith. But what is it we're believing in anyway? trusting in. A few disclaimers first. The God of Jesus Christ is not some sort of magician God who doles out special gifts and toys to you and others because you've been good. This God is not a God whose goal is to bless and prosper rich white people while the rest of the world suffers. This is not a God of a cold, lifeless religion of rules and regulations, demands and requirements. And this God of Jesus Christ is not a partisan God who favors the United States over other nations. This is not a God who has a preference for America as some sort of new Israel, the chosen people of God. This nationalistic, self-serving claim of some who call themselves Christian has absolutely no basis in Scripture, certainly nothing in any of Jesus' teachings. No, this is not the Christianity based on Jesus' life and teachings. Christianity, what is it? First and foremost, it's about Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, the Savior of the world. Martin Luther gave us a great image. He said, the Bible is like the cradle that holds the Christ child. In Jesus, God made God's decisive move toward humanity. 
showing love, mercy, and compassion. In Jesus, God came to heal broken people like you and me and to heal a broken world through a life, a death, and a resurrection. So what difference does it make? Believing? Believing means, for one thing, that we're not alone. The human journey is not intended to be a solo trip. In fact, we were made for relationship, for love. The yearning deep within us is satisfied in this God in Christ Jesus who came. Believing also gives purpose to life. People who follow Jesus faithfully do certain things. They love God and they love their neighbor, all of them without exception. The story of the Good Samaritan comes to mind. You remember the injured person? Two religious people walk by on the other side and then the Samaritan comes to help. So if we believe in Jesus, we live for God and for others. Here's the thing. If we believe, then our lives should show it, shouldn't they? I grew up in a wonderful church. Great pastors, terrific people, Bible study going on, youth groups, basketball teams. Yes, basketball teams. I think I loved my church for that almost more than anything. We had many wonderful times. It was a great church. But as I grew up in the 50s and 60s, there was a lot of unrest in our country, but it was a bit muffled. You didn't hear a lot about it. And I must say, I never heard anything in church, at least I don't recall it, that had to do with racial injustice, racial discrimination in our society. I don't think I ever heard a word about it. I don't think I ever heard a sermon that called us to be concerned about the victims of racial injustice. But there was lots of racial injustice. In 1960, a little six-year-old girl named Ruby Bridges lived in New Orleans with her family. Her family had agreed that they would take her to an elementary school that was being desegregated. There were other black families that agreed to do the same, but they backed out. So it was only Ruby Bridges, six-year-old girl and her mother, who had walked to this elementary school each day. They had to be escorted by four marshals. Why? Because the sidewalks to that school were lined with row after row of angry white people yelling vulgarities, obscenities at this little girl. Can you imagine? Why? Well, because she wasn't white. Can you imagine? And Ruby said that didn't scare her so much. But what did was she saw one white woman with an angry face who had a black baby doll that she had put into a small coffin and was holding up for Ruby to see. Can you imagine if that was your little six-year-old girl? Then in 1963, I think it was, in Birmingham, Alabama, the 16th Street Baptist Church was bombed. It was bombed because the people there were not white. As a result of the bombing, you may remember, four young girls were killed, 11 years old through 14 years old, these four girls. Can you imagine 
if one of them had been your daughter. Why was that done, that bombing? Again, because the people who went to that church were not white. In my ministry, I confess to you that I was not direct enough in challenging myself and the people in my congregations to deal with the realities of racial injustice in our society. We've been far too quiet, have said far too few words about what's really been happening to our neighbors. You know, neighbors, the Good Samaritan. We church people have found it far too easy to walk by on the other side. But we're called to be like the Good Samaritan. So to me, this much is indisputable, and I direct this as much to myself as to you. It is a failure of our faith when we ignore the suffering and pain of others. It's our failure. It is a failure of our faith when we choose to be passive in the face of violence and injustice. It is our failure. It is our failure and a failure of our faith when we are content to be content or to walk by on the other side. We may say we believe, but do our lives show it? God's radical love for all people is pushing and pulling people like you and me toward all those people who are in need, if we will but pay attention. There are people yearning to know God and to experience God's love for them, the love you've experienced, perhaps. And so the question is, how will we respond to God's call to extend that love of God to others? How will we respond to the many, many who are suffering from the effects of racism in our society and world today? What are you and I going to do about it? And how will we respond to the many who are suffering terribly because of this pandemic? What are we going to do about it? So what do you think? Is it believable? Can you believe Jesus on the water? Jesus rising from the dead? God, the reality behind all of life? Well, the God made known in Jesus is a pursuing God. God never gives up. God is always seeking us out to give us faith, life, and hope. God came in Jesus to love people, to draw them into relationship with their God and with one another. Now to me, that's a God to believe in. That's a God to love. That's a God to serve with our lives. Thanks be to God. Amen.